It was hot. I remember that. Unusually hot. And it was the middle of the day. So I thought I was pretty safe and going to get water then. No one would be around. I just prefer it that way. No glaring eyes, no awkward questions. Questions they already know the answer to, but ask just to hear me say it. Anyway, I came around the corner and I saw him there, this man. He was sitting on the edge of the well. I stopped, I looked around. This is all I need, me here alone with this guy. Just another reason for everyone to talk. I knew I should leave, but before I could turn around and get out of there, he noticed me. He looked at me for what seemed like forever. Maybe it was just a few seconds, I don't know. But he saw me. His eyes were kind. He gestured for me to come closer. I did. I remember thinking for a few seconds that there were a hundred things that could go wrong, but no one had ever looked at me that way. So I grabbed my bucket and I held it between me and him. I looked at him with almost a challenge for him to try something, like all the other men. But he just smiled a little. When I got closer, he pointed at my bucket and asked if I would give him a drink. It was bad enough the two of us were even standing there alone together, and now he's talking to me? He wants to drink out of my pail? So I said to him, why? Why would I even consider giving you a drink? He smiled again, like he somehow knew I was going to say that. And he said, I'm asking you for a gift, like the gift God has given you. If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water, and I would give you the best kind, living water. I tell him he doesn't even have a rope or a bucket. How is he supposed to give me this so-called living water? He says, without a hint of pretension, that if I just keep drinking this water, I'll continue to be thirsty, but that his water will quench my thirst forever. He's just so sincere. He never takes his eyes off me. Before I can stop myself, before I even really know what it is I'm asking for, the words just come out and I ask him for this water. I don't ever want to have to come back to this well. Then for the first time he looks away and he says, go and bring your husband back. I tell him I don't have one. My life isn't tidy. He knows, somehow he knows. He reminds me how many men I've been with. But it's sort of matter of fact. I wasn't left with the impression that he was looking down on me, judging me, just that he knew me? How does he know all of this? Is he some kind of prophet? I asked him. He started talking about truth and how it doesn't matter what other people call you or what you call yourself. 
just that you're truthful before God? I asked him how he knows so much about God. He said it was because he was God. He told me to stop trying to fill this hole inside of me. We both knew what he meant. He said he was the only one that could bring me peace. Then a bunch of other guys showed up. I think they were with him. I dropped my bucket and took off. When I got back into town, I must have looked pretty rattled because a bunch of women who've never talked to me before stopped me and asked me what was going on. I couldn't help myself. I had to tell them everything about this man. They actually believed me. In their shoes, I don't think I would have. It sounds crazy even thinking about it now. There was just something about his eyes. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar. Tired from his long journey, he sat on the edge of a well while sending his disciples out to the village to buy food. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said, give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replies, if you only knew who I was and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give to you living water. The woman replies, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. And where do you find this living water? Jesus said, if you drink from this well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But anyone who drinks the water I give them, they will never thirst again. And they will be forever satisfied. For when the, you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you over with endless life. The woman replied, let me drink that water so I never have to come back to this well again. Jesus says, go and get your husband. Bring him back here. But I'm not married. That's true, says Jesus, for you've been married five times and the man you are living with now is not your husband. You have spoken the truth. The woman says, you must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people worship in Jerusalem? Which is right? Jesus responded, dear woman, the time has come when you will not worship the father on a mountain or in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of spirit and truth. And the woman says, this is all so confusing, but I do know the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah, and when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus says, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you've been looking for. That's the abridged version of the story from John 4. 
This is perhaps one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, the woman by the well or the Samaritan woman. It's a short story, but there's a lot going on in the dialogue between that woman and Jesus. It's actually the longest conversation that Jesus has with a woman that's recorded in any of the Gospels. Timothy Keller in his book, Encounters with Jesus, which this sermon series is inspired by, calls this woman the outcast. Now, we know she's an outcast by a few different indicators. First, she goes to the well at noon. All the other women would have gone early in the day to beat the heat and because they need water to start the day. It appears that she goes at this time because she knows no one else will be there. She won't need to interact with anyone. Seems like something an outcast would do. Also, simply being a Samaritan would have made her a cultural outcast. Samaritans were considered unclean or not pure as they were a mixed race from the Jews intermarrying with the Assyrians. They had their own version of the Bible, they worshiped in a different temple, and this made them hated by the Jews. The Samaritan experience was that of oppression by the Jews, marked by discrimination and violence against their people. So they were divided by ethnic and religious differences, much like the Jews and the Palestinians today. And to some degree, she would have been considered an outcast simply because she was a woman in a patriarchal society. So this outcast stumbles across Jesus at her well and enters into what would have likely been a very uncomfortable conversation. Jesus, by simply interacting with her, breaks all sorts of Jewish laws. First of all, she was an enemy of the Jews. She was a woman. Jewish men cannot have contact with women they are not related to out in public. And some people would say it was because she was living in sin. An NIV commentator says, no self-respecting rabbi would have spoken to a woman in this setting. The equivalent modern day story would include a white middle-aged conservative Protestant pastor having dinner with a young queer indigenous girl who was an atheist. They both have every reason to be very suspicious of the other. But I love that these are the characters of this story, that they most likely had very little in common. They probably disagreed on most things from politics to fashion, to music taste, to religion. And in spite of that, they appear to have a calm, respectful conversation. Now this should not be earth shattering, but it is. We live in a point in history and a culture today that no longer values diverse opinions, let alone diverse relationships. In our quest to be accepted and loved unconditionally, we surround ourselves with only other like-minded people, people that look and act and dress and vote like we do. People who will never challenge us on our beliefs or our behavior, maybe because they believe and behave just like we do, or maybe because they're afraid of the inevitable conflict that comes with that sort of relationship. It's just easier when we all get along, isn't it? There's a cost to that. We all say we want friends who will tell us the truth, who will call us on our stuff, not just agree with our every choice. But do we really? Because that kind of friendship is hard. It takes time and trust and humility to stay in those kinds of friendships long-term. 
we are much more prone to invite people into our lives that are a little less challenging, less work. The people in my life who have courageously told me the truth are priceless. The people in my life who I hold very different views from are priceless. And I am intentional about including both of them in my life. I'm not doing this perfectly, but I'm trying. Also, in these particularly divisive times around COVID or racism or what it means to be inclusive, I am trying to listen, to understand, and not just respond. To not take the role of the Holy Spirit by proclaiming myself jury and judge, and by simultaneously hanging on tightly to what I believe to be true while realizing that every once in a while I might just be wrong. Living in this tension is hard and worth it. The other part of the story that I love is that Jesus is actually sort of unfazed by her sin. Jesus said, go get your husband, bring him back here, but I'm not married. That's true. You've been married five times and now you are living with a man who is not your husband. There is no exclamation point at the end of that statement, you know, just for impact, so everyone would know she was living in sin. It's just a matter of fact, period, to let her know that he knew her circumstances. There's actually some discussion around that statement that she had five husbands. In this cultural context, women could not initiate divorce. So either the men divorced her, or she could have been widowed multiple times, or a combination of the two. It's probably the final statement that is the reason why many call her an adulterous woman, living with a man who is not your husband. Regardless, I love the way that Jesus talks to her. It's truly amazing. The one who is without sin, who is pure and holy and calls us to the same, is not angry or accusatory of her. And for the record, it would have been well within his right to do that, being God and everything. Instead, he is so gentle, unsurprised, unfazed. He doesn't let her off the hook but he doesn't stone her, metaphorically or otherwise, which again, would have been in his right as a Jewish man if she had actually been an adulterer. Jesus knows we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even with this knowledge, he continues to intervene for us. Colossians says that Jesus saw our sin and was willing to shed his blood and endure immense suffering for the sake of our satisfaction and eternal life. And what I think is one of the most powerful scriptures, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our sin, while we are still sinning, maybe boldly, maybe unapologetically, he dies for us. That's a lot to take in. That is actually the definition of unworthy. So why? Why is it so difficult for us to love people in their sin? Why do we feel the need to point it out to them? I suppose it's in hopes of convicting them and ultimately causing them to repent, and these are good motives. But we must tread cautiously here. 
As in John 16, we read that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. This is his supernatural work. This doesn't mean, again, that your good friends can't call you out on areas where they are concerned about your life. And if they truly love you, they will do this with the greatest care and humility. This is part of a healthy, authentic relationship. But it is not our role to be pointing out people's moral failures on social media. This is harder than it sounds. <laughs> we have a lot of time right now to be on Facebook where everyone is taking it upon themselves to criticize and condemn everyone else's opinions and behaviors. This is also an area I am working on. And I am also trying to not be too phased by sin, but to simply love the sinner. I'm gonna end by challenging us to do a couple of things. To intentionally invite some people who are outside of your faith tradition, maybe your ethnicity, your gender, who you might think you have nothing in common with and might even consider an outcast into your social sphere. Maybe don't start with a conversation about who they voted for in the last election or if they think COVID is a hoax. Maybe just start by having them share their story and then you share yours. And when you feel the need to point out someone's sin, I want you to stop. Ask yourself if you are in authentic relationship with them and if you can do it without condemnation. Again, in John, we read that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Invite an outcast into your world and do not condemn them. Remember, someday you might be the outcast. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being unfazed by our sin and simply loving us while still challenging us out of sin, by loving us out of sin, by dying for our sin. Thank you for the example in this story with Jesus and this woman. I ask that you would also help us to behave this way with people we don't agree with, with people we are sure are wrong, and to be slow to criticize and quick to love. It is so freeing to leave the judgment up to the Holy Spirit and so much more fulfilling to be the one who gets to love. Thank you for still being in control when all seems out of control right now. And we ask your blessing on all of us, online, in person, our government, our leaders, our teachers, people making hard decisions right now, people we don't agree with right now. Help us to love them. We pray this in your precious son's name, amen.